This episode is sponsored by Audible. You can get a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash mothergood. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash mothergood. I know that there's a lot of Audible affiliate links out there, and we really ask you to use Mother Goods because up until now, all of the cost of running Mother Good has come from out of our pockets. And in order for this to be a long-term project of ours, this is a labor of love and we're not doing it for the money. We just really want to provide you quality content. So if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you really want it to continue, just use our affiliate link for Audible. It doesn't cost a dime to you, but it does provide us with some monetary benefit just so we can keep up with the monthly costs of running the podcast and everything else that comes along with mother good so we really appreciate it thank you you are listening to the mother good podcast episode number 10 today we are having a conversation with rachel loman who is a pastor and has firsthand experience on infant loss and we also have lauren michelle joining us today Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be back on the show and co-hosting with Emily today. We had a really awesome conversation with Rachel today on miscarriage and infant loss. And, you know, I think it's something that everyone can relate to, even if they haven't personally experienced a loss like that. It's something that statistically one in four pregnancies do end in miscarriage. And that's you know, almost always due to nothing that the mother did. It's just something that happens. And so whether or not you know it, chances are there are women in your life who have experienced loss. And I think this episode is a really awesome way to learn how to have the right vocabulary and the best things to say to a woman who's experienced that. Or if you yourself have gone through a loss or a miscarriage, uh, just some things that might help you grieve and cope with that loss. I think all around it's just we had an amazing conversation with her and I'm excited for everybody to hear it. One of my favorite parts about our conversations with Rachel is that she has a lot of tangible tips and advice to implement in our lives, whether we have personally experienced a miscarriage or know others who have experienced miscarriage. She's gone to grief groups and support groups and talked about it with her therapist. And she's also currently writing a book on the subject. Just a very well-spoken woman who is gifted at sharing her story. And one of the things that I also liked that she shared was just how to be very direct with women who have experienced a miscarriage and loss and give them the space to grieve in their own unique way, which I think is very important because a lot of times we assume that everyone will handle grief in a certain way. And, you know, most of the times grief looks so different for each individual woman. So it's important to give them that space and give yourself that space as well so that you can grieve in that unique way. I also loved her tips on how to include your husband in the grief and how to incorporate him in the grieving process that she mentions in this podcast that husbands often experience grief in a different way since they never were able to physically meet the baby or hold the baby. So the grief is different. And she just gave very practical tips on how to grieve with your husband and spouse and how to incorporate them in that grieving process. So if miscarriage has affected your life or a loved one's life, or you just want to know some good tips on how to grieve appropriately with your spouse and your friends who have experienced a loss, then this episode is for you. So without further ado, here is our amazing conversation with Rachel. Welcome to Motherhood, where we strongly believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. I'm your host, Emily Carney, and I'm so happy that you are here. Our conversations are positive, practical, authentic, and judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. If you are looking for a meaningful motherhood community and ready to thrive, not just survive, you are in the right place. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Of course. So if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us about yourself? Sure. Well, I um, technically am a mother of three, 
And that sounds a little bit weird for me to say because I don't always um, introduce myself that way, but that is the reality. So I have one baby in heaven. I have a son here who's about a year and a half old and his name's Parker. And then I have another on the way. So I'm about 14 weeks pregnant. So um, it's been a season full of learning all things motherhood from a various angles. And um, a little bit about me, I'd say that from a young age, I've really had an interest and a passion for storytelling. Um, it was funny the other summer when I was back home in Indiana, which is where I grew up, I found um, these newscasts that I would write out when I was maybe like six or seven years old. And what was so interesting about that is um, I didn't even remember doing those, but I ended up going to school for journalism. So I went to Chapman University and I studied broadcast journalism um, because there's always been something in me that's been really fascinated with hearing other people's stories, learning from their stories, and I've always gravitated towards um, sharing stories in whatever way I could. So I, I love writing. I love speaking to different women's groups. And so that has really been a common thread throughout my life. Um, I worked in television for a couple of years after I graduated. And although I loved the excitement of that and the fast pace of it, um, I felt this growing discontent with um, seeing my life going on that path. And I just felt like day in and day out, while I was doing fun work, um, which there is absolutely no problem with that, of course, I wanted to be telling stories that had the impact to change people's lives. And I just found... Um, kind of a growing emptiness and a discontent with that. And so I was really wrestling with, um, should I stay on this career path? Is is there something else that I'm called to and better fit for? And after a couple of years of wrestling and then with some life events and some pretty um, obvious closed doors to my career path, I ended up enrolling um, in seminary, which is like grad school for pastors. So I took a class at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, and I absolutely loved it. I loved um, just getting a deeper understanding of faith and um, learning what it meant to share the hope that I had found in my early 20s through a series of trials with other people who were longing for hope in the same way. So at Fuller Seminary, I ended up meeting my husband. He sat next to me in class. And we soon got engaged after we've been married four years. His name is Mark. And Mark and I um, are both pastors. We live in Southern California in a city called Chino, which is about an hour east of LA. And we're currently serving at a church called The Bridge. Uh, Mark is the lead pastor there. And I work full time from home uh, for a ministry called Alpha, which is based out of London. And Alpha helps connect people who are skeptics and have questions about Jesus and faith and church um, to be able to have their questions answered in a safe, non-judgmental place. So I work from home there, um, as well as watching my son full time. And I'd say probably the highlight to our season, aside from expecting is that I'm working on my first book, and it's actually on the topic of miscarriage. And um, yeah, I just found it really cathartic, but also like there is just such a huge need for um, women to be sharing their stories around this topic because they are painful, um, unfortunately, but I found that there's so much shame and almost a taboo nature to this topic, which breaks my heart. And in my own miscarriage, I found that there were a lack of solid, honest resources that I could really relate to in my grief. And so a lot of that has inspired me to take on this project because I want other moms who are grieving the loss of their baby to feel hope and encouragement um, through their grieving process. Thank you so much for sharing that, Rachel. It sounds like you've had quite the journey with your career and then meeting your husband through pursuing a different career. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your motherhood journey and what that has looked like for you. I know you hinted a little bit at what it looks like right now, but maybe just sharing a little bit more about that. And then you hinted at some loss and what you're currently experiencing and taking care of your son. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I had a whirlwind um, entering into motherhood. I was about eight weeks pregnant with our um, first baby and out of nowhere, um, I just had sudden signs of, of something not being right. And uh, we ended up losing that baby 
about a day and a half later. And it was a very traumatic event that really shook me in all aspects. Um, It really rattled my faith too, to be honest. I think I was so blindsided by that experience. I mean, it was my first pregnancy. You don't know what to expect anyway when you're first pregnant. Um, I knew that miscarriage could happen. I knew that that was um, a reality for certain, you know, women who have gone, gotten pregnant. I'd heard about it before, but I just never imagined that it would be part of my story. So I found myself um, really blindsided by everything that happened um, probably over a six month span. It, it was fairly intense. And honestly, um, that, that's been the foundation of my journey into motherhood. I've seen everything colored through that experience. Um, there's been a lot of good that's come from, as odd as that sounds, having loss at the start of my experience. Um, and I can touch more on that later, but it's given me such a different perspective. Um, because I think initially I thought, okay, you know, you go through life, get married, find a job, settle down, next step is to have kids. And I feel like if I hadn't lost um, our first baby and didn't have this as part of my story, I may not fully recognize the blessing that it is um, to be a mom now. That's so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. We actually pulled our listeners to see what they wanted to know about miscarriage and infant loss. And one of the most common questions was what you were mentioning is how after having a loss that it sort of colors your outlook, but it sounds like for you, it's been a more positive outlook. So do you have any advice for those who have gone through a miscarriage on how they can not have fear and anxiety about a miscarriage with all future pregnancies after a loss? And instead they can have more of that positive outlook that, that you're mentioning. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'd say that the fear and anxiety is a very real part of any future pregnancies or even thinking about getting pregnant again. And it is so real and it is so scary. And because miscarriage comes on so suddenly and there really aren't warning signs, it's so easy to live in that constant fear of, okay, everything's progressing fine. You're living life as normal. You know, I, I would always be nervous every time I would um, go to the bathroom. Like, am I going to see something that isn't right? And I, um, I remember before we got pregnant the second time, just talking to my husband and saying, I'm so nervous about how anxious I'm going to be if we do get pregnant. Of course, it's all that I want right now, but I am also terrified of what those nine months might look like because I don't want to be a nervous wreck. So I think something that was really helpful was just acknowledging that, hey, this is going to be something that I'm going to wrestle with every single day. And um, I've talked with other moms who've gone through the same situation and gone on to um, have full-term pregnancies, and they all say, yes, this is just part of it. Unfortunately, the road that we walk as moms who have also lost babies. So something that was really helpful was to um, look at my own expectations and just to say out loud, okay, I know that fear and anxiety are going to be part of this. And just to name it for what it is, it sort of helped lessen the pressure that I was putting on myself to act like I had it all together and that I wasn't nervous. Um, another piece of advice that a mom had given me as I was going through my pregnancy with Parker, she had also lost. And she said, um, I try to remind myself that every day I have with this baby is a gift. And I don't know if I'm going to have another day, but I want this baby to know how loved he is each and every day. And so I'm not going to take each day for granted. And that really helped my perspective, especially in that first trimester. where statistically most miscarriages occur was just to look at every day that I would wake up um, or that I get to go to bed at night, that I still have my baby and to be thankful for that and to make sure that I loved that baby well, um, knowing that tomorrow was never a guarantee. I would also say that um, therapy was a huge help for me. I was lucky enough to have a therapist who had gone through um, miscarriages of her own. I was already seeing her before I had lost 
um, our baby. And so just having her kind of hold my hand and walk me through the process, you know, we would just celebrate week by week and have those as big milestones. Um, but yeah, I would say by and large, it is completely normal to feel a lot of fear and anxiety. Um, to just to, to acknowledge that, to relieve some pressure off yourself that you don't have to make that go away. Um, because I think for moms who have gone through a loss, until we're holding a baby in our arms, a certain degree of fear and anxiety just comes with the territory. Thank you for sharing that. I think that'll be really helpful for a lot of women who have gone through what you have. Um, as as someone who hasn't personally experienced a miscarriage, and I've only had one pregnancy, and thankfully, my son, you know, was healthy and everything turned out well. But something I've wondered, and I know many other women, some of the polls that we asked, people also had this question about um, what's a good way to act if you yourself are pregnant, or um, just in general, wondering what is a helpful way to approach a woman who has had a miscarriage when it might be a sensitive or sore subject and not wanting to aggravate that, but also not wanting to ignore what she's gone through, like you said, kind of acknowledging it. What's the best way, in your opinion, to approach that? Totally. Well, it's such a, it can be such a sensitive subject, but I just appreciate the fact that women are asking that question because um, it is so helpful just to be in that mindset of, um, how do I enter into my friend's pain and be sensitive to that? Because by and large, unfortunately, at least in my experience, I found that um, because the pain made a lot of people feel uncomfortable or it was uncharted territory for them, they hadn't walked through this personally, um, they didn't know how to go about approaching me or my husband or asking how I was doing. And so they just didn't at all. Um, and obviously if you're grieving the loss of your baby, I mean, you're just broken inside and it's all that you're thinking about. And I think oftentimes, um, we fear that, oh, if I bring up something that's painful or I ask about how they're doing, or if they want to talk about their baby or their experience that we are going to cause more hurt. But the reality is, is that if you're in that situation of grief, um, it's already, everything that you're thinking about. And you're just really wanting somebody to reach out and say, how are you doing? How can I best support you? Um, I think some practical things would be um, just to offer to bring a meal over or coffee, um, offer to treat that mom out, say, do you want two hours to yourself? If she has other kids, offer to watch her kids so that she can have time to herself not just necessarily in the immediate weeks following the loss, but in months to follow because the grieving process is not neatly contained to a couple of weeks. I mean, it goes on for months, often even years. Um, one thing that, yeah, you're right. You bring up such a great point. It makes it so complicated um, when you are pregnant yourself, but you have a friend who maybe is going through a miscarriage or hasn't been able to get pregnant or is suffering some sort of pain related to the pregnancy that obviously you're celebrating. Um, I found it most helpful when um, I was in the shoes of someone who was hurting and I was around other pregnant women when they would just face it head on and just acknowledge that it could be awkward. And um, it's a really brave and bold thing to do. But, you know, if you are pregnant and you're around a friend who's grieving, just to say, hey, I know that you're hurting right now. Um, is there anything that I can do to make you feel more comfortable? Would it be more comfortable if I gave you space? And maybe we didn't spend a lot of time face to face, but how can I best support you in this season? Another thing um, that we did um, later when we were celebrating um, the baby shower for my second pregnancy was we had a couple of friends who had recently gone through miscarriages and we wanted to invite them to the baby shower, but we also wanted to be really sensitive to where they were at. And so instead of sending them a formal invitation without any context, we reached out to them personally and we said, hey, we're having a baby shower. We want you to be included um, because you're an important person in our lives, but we really want to honor what you're going through right now. And so please feel no obligation to attend, to be part of this. We simply wanted you to know that you are important and you are part of who we would want to be there. 
But what's most important to us is that you do what's best for you. And we had some women who said, yes, absolutely, I want to be there. And other women who said, you know, I'm not sure that I can be there right now. I'm not sure that that's healthiest for me. And we totally respected that. So I think just even the practical things of giving women in that position kind of an easy opt out to those difficult moments like baby showers is really important. Those are really great tips. And I really like how you just mentioned the acknowledgement too of the suffering that seems to be a big theme and just be very direct and upfront about it. And I've noticed that 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 is one of the biggest obstacles, at least for me, um, whenever I know that someone has experienced a miscarriage that I I don't always know how to approach it, but always, um, you know, being direct is always is a good thing. Um, in terms of the suffering too, just as you mentioned, it's, you know, it's a lot harder to carry that burden when you're just pretending like everything's fine versus when you actually acknowledge it. So I think those are really great tips. Uh, I noticed too, when you're, when you've been speaking that you've been mentioning how you've healed and the process of healing and sometimes how it takes months and maybe even years Uh, Do you have any tips or suggestions for moms who are listening on how to heal emotionally and how to help others? I know you've already mentioned that a little bit, how to help others who have gone through that. But tell us about the healing process and um, what suggestions you have for that. Sure. I um, had a seminary professor in a class I was taking about death and loss years before this. And he said, Grief is not a straight line with a clear start point and end point. He said it's like a spiral. And that has stuck with me and been so true of my own grieving experience and processing the loss of our first baby. And um, I think that is a really important framework to keep in mind um, because there is no clear cut path necessarily for how we grieve the loss of our babies. I mean, we are going to hurt deeply and grieve deeply because we love them deeply. Um, One interesting thing, if we were to step back and look at this culturally, is that when we have loved ones who die, you know, if, if we think of elderly people who pass away just of natural causes or of an illness, we have traditional things that usually follow afterwards. So, you know, there's an obituary that gets published. There's um, a funeral where people can come and um, pay their sympathies directly to the family. There's a gravesite and a tombstone for families to go and revisit year after year after year. There are things like photos and videos to replay and, and tangible memories to hold. None of that exists for grieving in the miscarriage process. And um, it's taken me a while to kind of put my finger on that. But I just remember kind of fumbling around for months being like, I was searching for an outlet or a way, a space to voice my pain and to, to grieve this loss. But all the social constructs that we have around mourning the loss of a loved one, they just don't apply um, to a miscarriage because we don't have a physical memories with our child. We don't have photos. Um, some women are able to to have the body and to, to bury their babies and to have a tombstone or some sort of a memorial that they can revisit. But I think that's one of the things that makes miscarriage grief so unique and um, I think is really important to be aware of. And um so that's been helpful for me is just to recognize those things and say, okay, what do I need to ask myself that? What can I do to kind of create those tangible memorials for my baby that will help me keep our baby part of our family? Um, some other practical things have just been like, I took time off of work immediately following my miscarriage. Um, my The place I was working at the time offered me that three days were in the bereavement policy and I took those. So I would encourage um, any moms listening, if you're going through this, first of all, I'm just so sorry um, for your loss. But I would say to to talk to your boss or see what's available for you to take time off, because this is a huge loss that affects you emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, really in every way. And to give yourself time um, just to process is so important. 
if you can find somebody who is a safe person for you to talk to, who will walk alongside you through the process, um, doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's walked the same path of loss. But if you have somebody in your life who has, um, they're just going to be able to relate to you on a completely different level. And I found those women to be such big resources. Um, if you can find a grief group or go to counseling, I've done both. Um, both have been extremely helpful for me. Um, and then I'd say just small things like remembering to exercise, to take care of yourself, to get outside. Um, it's so easy for depression to creep in, especially around miscarriage grief, because most people don't know how to respond to it um, outside of you know you and your husband that are going through it. It can be very isolating. Um, so yeah, sorry if I'm kind of rambling on that, but um... we're taking a quick break to thank our podcast sponsor for this episode, which is Audible. You can get a free audiobook from Audible at the link www.audibletrial.com slash mothergood and a 30-day free trial. And I don't know about you, Lauren, but ever since I've become a mom, I've just experience a lot more brain fog than I used to do. And listening to podcasts and audiobooks has really helped me keep my mind sharp and given me something else to think about and ponder besides just what's happening next in my kid's life. Even if it's just 10 minutes in the car running groceries, I found that it gives me something really interesting to listen to. And then I have something else to talk about besides just, I don't know, diaper rashes and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, you know me, Emily, I'm a pretty big podcast and audiobook fan myself. And I personally listen to a lot of audiobooks in the car because I commute about an hour and a half every day to and from school and picking up Jackson from daycare. So my personal favorites, there's a few that have stood the test of time. I'm a big fan of Rachel Hollis's books, The Girl Stop Apologizing. And then there's a, a couple other ones, The Charisma Myth is another great one and the power of habit but you can check out any of these audiobooks or your own personal favorite the uh, library on audible has thousands and thousands over 180,000 titles to choose from and you can listen on your phone in your car wherever so it's super convenient and sponsors like audible help support the cost of running our podcast our Instagram and putting on our annual conference. Yeah. And something else that I recently discovered, Lauren, and I'm not sure if any of our listeners are aware of this, but Audible actually has a lot of children's books. They have really? thousands of children's books for every single age group, starting even with newborns, you know, so they have from the age group zero to four. And I forgot the, the next one, uh, four to seven or something like that. And what's really cool too, is that if you have a Kindle a lot of them will will highlight the words as the book is being read. So it's a really great alternative to putting your kids in front of the TV. If you just need a break, or you're trying to make dinner or something, you can just put on like the cat in the hat and green eggs and ham, Winnie the Pooh, bedtime stories for kids. And then they can just sit there with the Kindle and then read along. Or for your older kids, you know, it's a really good way to boost their reading and comprehension skills and give them the ability to boost their learning past their grade level. So I'm really excited to try out uh, some of the kids books. I love that. It's educational and entertaining. That's an awesome idea. So again, we really appreciate you supporting our sponsors. Again, to get your free audiobook and your 30-day trial, go to www.audibletrial.com slash mothergood to get your free audiobook. And again, you have to put in the audibletrial.com slash mothergood because if you just put in audible, it's not going to work. So make sure you do audibletrial.com slash mothergood. We really ask you to use Mothergood's link because up until now, all of the costs of the podcast and running Mothergood have just come from out of pocket, out of our pockets. It won't really be feasible long term to keep that up. And this is really a labor of love for us. And we're not doing it for the money. We just want to meet our costs and to continue to provide you quality content. So we thank you so much for your support. Yeah, those are the immediate things that come to mind. Thank you so much for sharing that, Rachel. I think uh, those are helpful tips, not just for women who have gone through miscarriage, but just for people who even haven't and are trying to better understand the grief that women are going through. Uh, Something you briefly touched on was about husbands or partners. And I think they're sometimes forgotten in the topic of miscarriage because they too are grieving, although it's in a different way than the woman who's directly experiencing it. Uh, Do you have any 
tips or just experience of your own on how your husband dealt with his grief and how you maybe both together dealt with your grief as a couple and, you know, just anything that might be helpful for our listeners because it's it's a sore topic for men as well. And I don't think their grief is often acknowledged as much as it should be. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great question, Lauren. I just finished up um, an eight-week grief group that I attended at a local church. Um, and one thing that was unique about that was the husbands came. Most of the husbands came. And so for the first time, I was able to hear what the miscarriage experience was like um, through a man's perspective other than my husband. And I found it to be so illuminating. Um, the first thing is that, and, and most people um, will allude to this, but men and women grieve differently. Um, even if it was a traditional loss, we grieve differently. But I think that gets compounded um, in a miscarriage because of the fact that the woman often at that point feels so much more connected to the baby then her partner, her husband is able to, I mean, the baby is completely inside the womb that the husband hasn't been able to hold the baby or touch the baby or see the baby. And so one thing that was um, challenging for my husband was, I remember he would say, you know, I, I wish there was more I could do. I'm hurting because I'm seeing that you're hurting Rachel, but I'm having a hard time. Like, connecting to the grief on your level because he could see that it was so much deeper for me than it was for him at that time. Um, but at the same time, he was hurting. He was just hurting in a different way. And um, I remember there were weeks where I felt frustrated by that saying like, I, I just felt like an absolute mess and I wasn't able to even function. I'd cry in the middle of the day. I couldn't get through a normal work day or do, um, you know, just normal things that I had put the expectation on myself to be able to do at that time. Whereas Mark seemed like he was able to carry on just fine. And I remember asking him like, Hey, are you feeling things? Like, what are you feeling right now? Is this still hard for you? And that gave him space to open up and to share what he was, was feeling. And I remember just asking him, Hey, it would be really helpful for me if you could do X, Y, and Z. And I think at the time I said, you know, if you can intentionally ask me once a week, Rachel, how are you feeling about our loss? That gives me space to be able to process it. And it makes me feel like I'm not alone in this. Um, other things that that he was able to do um, was just to give me time when I needed it in whatever way that looked like. I remember saying, hey, I think I need to get out of town. And he was like, I think that'd be great for our marriage and our relationship. And so we just randomly went away, like down to the ocean for a weekend. And um, yeah, I just think it's really important to to show up in a way that um, the mom knows, hey, you are with me in this, even though your grief looks different. And it came down to me being honest and asking for what I needed from my husband to be reminded of the fact that he was grieving too. And I think it opened up just honest dialogue for us. That's so great that you're able to be very direct with your husband. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, my husband and I just went to this, this marriage group class this past week. And that's one of the advice that was given to the class. It was that, you know, a lot of times we as women expect our husbands just to read our mind <laughs> and that's something uh-huh. that, you know, husbands or no, no man is a, is a mind reader. So he, they can't, they can't read your mind. So that's, that's such great advice to just actually communicate and ask your spouse what they're actually going through. Uh, One of my friends, actually, she, you know, I told her that we were going to be recording this podcast and she asked a question that she wanted me to pass on to you. And this is that she experienced a a very late term loss. It was a little bit after 20 weeks. Um, and so it was a, a lot more unexpected since it was past, you know, the normal first trimester. And she wanted to ask how, how to acknowledge the difference, not that, you know, one loss is greater than the other, but how, we should approach women who have had that later loss. We actually got another question from another 
listener too, who wanted to know, what do you say to someone who's had, you know, a, either a stillbirth or a late term loss at let's say 38 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, my friend wanted to know how to grieve in, in that space as, you know, at the late term um, miscarriage and she wanted to know what your thoughts were. Yeah. My condolences to your friend, um, that definitely compounds, I think the loss that is experienced, um, from a miscarriage because other things have happened at that point. I mean, you have given birth to your baby, you have seen your baby, you have held your baby. There are tangible things associated with that process that a woman who miscarries often doesn't get to um, experience. And so that definitely makes the loss, I think, even that much harder. Not to mention, I mean, because of the way most hospitals are set up, unfortunately, women giving birth to um, stillborn babies are surrounded by women who are holding they're healthy babies that are alive and crying. And um, yeah, so there are just so many things that make that um, just so heartbreaking. My niece, actually, um, we lost her to um, around 17 weeks last summer. And um, being there during those days leading up to her birth and just being at the bedside as my sister-in-law gave birth to her, um, that was, will probably always be one of the most heartbreaking experiences of my life. And you're just feeling so many emotions and you're just seeing this precious life and the parents' dreams. And you're just shaken with the reality that life is not supposed to be like this. And babies aren't supposed to die. And uh, it just, it really um, is a rattling, heartbreaking experience. I did ask my, my sister-in-law, I said, Becca, what what have you learned um, in, in your grieving process? She has also experienced a miscarriage too. I said, how has this differed having a lot having um, a late term loss? And um, one thing that Becca shared that um, I wanted to be sure to pass along was she said it's really um, been important for her and her husband to have a long term grieving plan. And what she means by that was um, being intentional in what they decided to do with their little girl, her name is Rosie, with her body. And there are different options available. Um, They chose to to bury Rosie. And so she's in a plot at a cemetery down the street from their house with other babies. And so having a physical gravesite where they can go and visit Rosie and they can take their future children to to talk about, hey, this is your sister, um, has really been helpful for them. Um, also they've also gone through grief counseling and they've said that that is absolutely huge, if not crucial, because again, the grief, it's like a miscarriage grief, but compounded. And so Becca said that for their relationship to survive what they went through, that grief counseling was absolutely helpful because so much stress, um, is placed on the, the parents in that situation. Thank you, Rachel, for sharing such a personal story and um, we're so sorry to hear about your sister-in-law, Becca's loss of her daughter, Rosie. But I think what you shared about even how they process that grief, I think, is really helpful for anyone who's gone through something similar to um, something that I wanted to ask that's pretty personal and important to me, too, as a medical student. Um, I know healthcare workers, physicians, nurses, residents can sometimes be insensitive or not respect a life that is lost, especially in a hospital setting like you described. Um, I am hopeful for the future, just seeing my classmates and, you know, working in hospital settings and seeing how people are really being trained to be more sensitive and, and listen to their patients' emotions, which is kind of shocking that that is taken this long for us to really prioritize that. But what are some ways for women, in your opinion, to respond to people, whether or not they're in healthcare, but especially people who do work in healthcare, to how to respond to those people who are insensitive or haven't really acknowledged or respected the loss they're facing? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that is something that I'm hopeful to for, for a future that 20 years from now, um, the climate will look different for grieving mothers in those medical situations. That's been right along the lines of my experience, um, was very cold, um, medical treatment that was lacking any empathy or compassion to the situation. And I remember processing that with my therapist who had also had the same experience. And she said, you know, Rachel, you, what we don't see is that from the perspective of a a medical professional, um, this is something that they see frequently. And so to them, it's a case and it's a statistic, but to us, it's our baby. It's our children. And there is such um, a contrast there in, in how you handle that. I think it would have been really helpful um, just to hear, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your loss. You'd be amazed that that just doesn't even really happen, that simple phrase. I remember um, when I went to the ER, when um, I had been bleeding all day and cramping and just knew something wasn't right, things were escalating that the physician on duty, you know, he looked at my ultrasound and he came back and he said, well, it's one of two things. Either um, you're having a miscarriage and there's nothing we can do about it. The baby will pass on its own. You just need to go home. Or it's an ectopic pregnancy, in which case um, you could be at danger. Sometimes it even ends um, in death for the mother. And that's how he left. <laughs> and um my husband and I were just so shocked at at how that all was handled, um, the crassness of it, um, the lack of comfort or empathy. Um, that yeah, it was just really shocking. It was it was disheartening, especially when you're that person to break the news that this this parent, this mom, is likely losing her child. Just a simple "I'm sorry" goes a long way. That's so true. That kind of reminds me of uh, my my husband has told that to me in the past too. Whenever someone's grieving from a loss, uh, you know, I, I always say, "Oh, I just don't know what to tell them." And you know, since I I haven't really experienced much loss in my life, and and so that I'm always worried that I'm going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And that's something my husband always says, you know, just say, I'm sorry, like that, that's just enough for everyone. And, and I always try to remember that. And so it's reaffirming to hear that from you too, that just saying those simple words would, would mean a lot. I I noticed too, that you mentioned about your sister-in-law, Becca, that they chose to bury their infant's remains. Do you know much about what options there are if a mom wanted to bury her infant's remains? You know, if it's obviously later uh, in the term to warrant, you know, that there's actually some remains that they could they could bury. Do you know what options there are out there? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, it's not something um, that I have dealt with firsthand. But my understanding, and even though talking with Becca was... Um, at that point, especially um, when there is a body um, or remains that the traditional options stand, you can um, do a burial or you can do cremation. And um, she mentioned that some of her friends um, have cremated their infant's remains and then they've done special things with the ashes. So they maybe have an urn that they put somewhere in their house or they have planted a tree in their backyard um, around the baby's ashes, and that tree is their memorial to the baby. So I think that the traditional options um, are available, and I think surprisingly, a lot of cemeteries have special areas just for infants and babies um, to be buried, which is a really special um, thing, I think. But um, yeah, I'm also continually reminded of just the scope of of options that happen in terms of I was just talking with a friend who she had a DNC and she said you know for me I never even got to see the any part of my baby they take it away in surgery and you never get to see um if you have an early loss oftentimes you don't get to see much other than just a mass of tissue which was similar to my experience. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's good to know that there are options available, but at the same time, 
Um, I'd encourage women, regardless of where you are in the stage in which you lost your baby, to do something for yourself that can serve as a memorial post to your baby. Just to have a special area of your yard, um, to plant a tree, to buy a nice piece of jewelry, um, to get a special ornament to put on your Christmas tree. Just do something that is significant and is a memorial to your baby just to keep their memory alive, but to also give you an outlet to feel like you can still connect with your child. Thank you for those uh, tips. I think those are really helpful to know kind of what options women have, especially the later term loss. Um, You know, Rachel, you had a really difficult introduction, I would say, to motherhood, starting off your motherhood journey with a miscarriage. Um, And we've talked a lot about loss and suffering and pain so far in this episode. Um, I'd love to ask about a story or an anecdote of a beautiful part of motherhood that you've experienced with your son or your current pregnancy, and maybe just a reflection on how, even though it comes with a lot of pain and suffering, how it's all been worth it for you or just finding those beautiful moments in that suffering. Sure. Yeah. I, I um, am continuing to get glimpses of redemption. Um, in our painful beginning that we had, um, my husband and I, as we entered into parenthood and as I entered into motherhood, I catch myself having a lot of like frozen moments, um, with my son. And what I mean by that is just like these moments where I almost feel like I'm taking a mental picture of him. Um, like just the other day we were out on the patio and I was blowing bubbles to him and, his face was just like his whole entire face was smiling. He was so happy just chasing these bubbles around and he had so much joy and just something so small. And, um, I just found myself like capturing these mental snapshots, um, of his face as we were playing outside with the bubbles. And I find that happening a lot. And I wonder if a lot of that is because, um, I just carry a different perspective, um, into it, having started my motherhood journey with a loss, that every time I look at him in those moments, um, I'm A, reminded of what a gift and a miracle it is to bring life into the world. But I also, at the same time, I'm seeing um, my baby that I won't meet until we are joined together in heaven when I look at my son. So it's this beautiful, yet redemptive, yet could be sad on some days too, um, combination of feelings. Because when I see Parker, when I hold him, when I have all these experiences with with him, it puts flesh on um, the baby I've lost. And I realize the extent of what this loss is. Um, But at the same time, I'm just like so, so grateful that I am a mom, that I have this beautiful baby because for many, many months, I thought that this might be a gift that I never get to open. Wow, that's so beautiful, Rachel. And I'm sure there's not a dry eye among all of our listeners, because I know it's the same for us here listening. Uh, We would like to close with a question that we ask all of our listeners. And that's ties back into our motto, which is there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. I feel like that theme is kind of been throughout our conversation today, but I would really like to hear a story or an example of an instance where you realized that and kind of had that aha moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like I'm kind of learning that every single day and reminding myself of that. I mean, um, for me anyway, like I'm a planner and a dreamer and I'm an achiever. And so anything I enter into I want to excel at, I want to do well at, and I like to have it planned and be in control or have the facade of having control at least. And motherhood just doesn't fit into any of those categories. Um, when we were traveling back home, well, I call it my home in Indiana. When we were traveling home from Indiana two months ago, back to California, we had been there for a family wedding and Parker, who had previously been a great traveler on airplanes, he was just not having it. And uh, he screamed for four hours straight, straight, like there was no stopping. And um, it was in that moment, and you know, you're getting all the glances from people 
some people were really kind and understanding and helpful, but other people weren't. When I just realized to myself, like, wow, I am in no control. And um, you're really just learning to be flexible and to go with the ebbs and the flows of, of how your kid is reacting to life as they discover it. And um, no plan was going to work, no tricks, no snacks that I had in the diaper bag, nothing was going to work. And in that moment, I just remember that I was sinking into, into my chair on the airplane, um, just realizing like, hey, I'm doing the best that I can. Me and my husband were looking at each other absolutely exhausted, but sharing that bond of we're doing the best that we can. And yes, we might be failing to many people around us, but we're doing all that we can to give our kid um, somewhat of a pleasant experience on this flight and to comfort him, but it's not perfect. And we don't know what we're doing. And we are learning and fumbling along the way. And as um, a perfectionist in recovery, (laughs) that's hard for me to admit, but motherhood has been such a good, um, just refining block for me to learn that, you know, I'm, I'm not in control even before it gets, I'm still not in control of anything. And, um, all that really matters is that I'm putting my best foot forward and I'm trying to love my son well, and I don't have to have all of the parenting hacks down and I don't have to have all the perfect DIY crafts available for him. I just need to put my best work forward in loving him and um, pray that when he's old and has his own kids, that he will remember and feel like he's always been loved by his parents. That's such a great perspective. And I'm sure all of our listeners can relate to a similar experience. Toddlers have that unique ability to make you feel completely helpless. So thanks. I know I was cringing on the airplane story because I've been through something very similar. So yeah, I'll never forget one of our next door neighbors growing up. She's told the story of how she used to be that mom that would always give those dirty looks at other moms when their kids were throwing temper tantrums. And one time she took her toddler to Nordstrom and was waiting in line. And then her toddler proceeded to throw a temper tantrum on the floor. And then <laughs> she got the dirty looks and she, you know, she just realized in that moment, she said, you know what, I'm just getting, you know, it's karma. I'm just getting what I gave. And and she just thought to herself, one day they, they'll understand, you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so true. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Rachel, for sharing uh, your journey with motherhood and your loss. And I know that Lauren and I, when we we're listening and talking with you, we're just so inspired and learned so much from you. And I know all of our listeners did as well. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. No, thank you for having me. Thank you, Emily and Lauren.